So I'm curious, Father Anthony, what is the longest period in a day, or with the longest time amount of confessions you've heard in a day? Uh, single confession uh, streak, if you will, three hours. Three hours, and that's now is that the most you've heard in a day? Time wise, uh, in a day, uh, maybe, yeah. It's hard yeah. to tell because I mean, uh, back in my old parish, we would kind of do throughout the day I end up doing two hours but that could go longer but I think yeah for three solid hours uh, one time I heard confession straight through and it was exhausting I was I mean it was also it was like seven or it was like six to nine so it was yeah. at the end of the day was this but, like an all day confession thing or something like that yeah so our diocese does this thing the light, the light is on for you and basically every parish in the diocese from six to nine is supposed to have confessions available so everywhere and uh, yeah and one year, people really took advantage of it, and I heard three hours of confessions, and I was whooped. Yeah, it was great. It was beautiful. Yeah, it is. It is. Yeah, yeah. So I was at our um, at a women's retreat that is held in our diocese, and it's actually sponsored through my parish. Uh, let's see here, a week and a half ago now. Uh-huh. It was awesome. It was great. It was. It, it's funny. It's like because I was the only priest there outside of just uh, outside of one priest coming in to help me for a couple hours with confessions. And uh, didn't get a chance to really visit with people because, like, Saturday is like the big day. People arrive Friday night, but Saturday is really the day. And, sure, yeah. And I heard six and a half hours of confessions that day. I literally can't imagine that. Now, granted, granted, it wasn't straight, and I'm very grateful for that. Right, right, right. <laughs> the longest streak I had that day was actually I did two two-hour sessions. Okay. That day, uh, one time a priest came in to help me. Thank God, or else I would have heard even more. Um, and then that evening during, we weren't going to have confessions during adoration, but we ended up having confessions during adoration because <laughs> nice, nice. the lines were so long and stuff. Right. So it was just great. It's awesome. It's like, it's, it's beautiful. So I, uh, I've never heard that many confessions before or that long because it's, it's a, it's a retreat weekend, mm-hmm. right? So you, you're going to get a little bit more discussion often sure, with yeah. the confessions. I did give an instruction to the ladies i said when you if if during the confession time come in and say bless me father it's been x amount of time since my last confession here are my sins in kind and number and then be quiet (laughs) (laughs) and i'll ask clarify i said only reason is so it's so i can try and get through as here as many confessions as possible sure sure and i said if you want to talk longer we can do that outside of the normal confession Mm -hmm, time mm -hmm. And, uh, but you know, it, it, it's, it's a retreat weekend, so people need to talk it out. And I, and I, I'm someone who can, uh, appreciate that. So it was, yeah, it was, it was six and a half hours. I was like, how do, how did Padre Pio and Jean Vianney do it? Like, it really has to be grace to, because yeah. I, I remember that three hour session of confessions I had, like I was so dead afterwards. Now it was a beautiful, it was a beautiful experience. There were good confessions, you know, uh, I was happy to do that for for people but like just just emotionally physically spiritually wiped out so it, it just has to be they're just super plugged in to jesus christ and it's just a supernatural grace it has to be and i think you know actually someone mentioned this to me too though about them at, that you know they probably um they had to grow in the habit of it sure you know like if you, it's like you know swimming it's like running a marathon yeah, you, you, you eventually you don't run the marathon right away, but eventually you get just in a good space where you can r- r- run the marathon consistently without it being too much of a wear on you. So I think I think there's something to that too. But it was uh, 
yeah, it was intense. It was beautiful. I was like, I've never had anything like this happen before. And I was so, so happy. And I actually said to the organizer, I said, next year we should ask me because we don't have many priests in our diocese. I'm like yeah. literally the only guy who's really willing and able to help out for a weekend. And, uh, uh, not, well, I'm sure there might be other guys, but, but anyways, um, they, they want me to go. So the, I said, we should get like a retired priest from the neighboring diocese to come over and help us out yeah, next absolutely. year just to be present because otherwise, and I get it. Some people might not want to come to me for whatever reason. And so you need to have that available too. So, um, yeah, it was beautiful. It was amazing. And I've never had anything like that happen before. And it was like, yeah, this is, this is great. And then last Friday, I, we had like, do you know what night fever is? Uh, it sounds illegal. I don't know what it is though. It's it's like a evangelization thingy. Night fever sounds like a bad disco song. Uh, no, never mind. I'm not gonna do any disco music. Yeah, right it now. sounded as bad as what you just did. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. That's what I'm thinking. Yeah. About. Okay. There you go. There you go. <laughs> uh, uh, anyways, uh, but yeah, I was there too, and and the confessions were rolling. Like, there's another priest there, and confessions were rolling for like three hours. And so what they do is uh, they, it's adoration. The church is darkened and only has candlelight. And then people go out into the streets to invite people to come into the church to pray. Oh, cool, cool, cool. Yeah. So we had 200 people come in that night, which is kind of cool. That's amazing. And I was, I mean, I would have brought more stickers to hand out to all the young people who were there to promote the podcast because, you know, got to do those promotions. Right. So I'm out of stickers. Because I've been giving them all away. Yeah, yeah, I don't have that problem because I always forget that I'm a part of a podcast <laughs> that people care about. I, that's literally what happens. Like I just forget and I just don't bring any. So I have a whole bunch, but we're we're ordering some more. Um, yes. And uh, yeah, I hate bringing up the stickers. You know why? You know why I hate bringing up the stickers? Why? Not just because not, not just because I haven't given many out personally. I've given a few out, but because we still haven't sent those freaking stickers in the mail yet. I and know. This is half, like, the peop- half the people now have gotten their stickers because I brought them stickers. Right. And there's people <laughs> who, like, are no longer Patreon subscribers who, like... Uh, so, so uh, should we announce our new uh, member of the Clerically Speaking crew? Well, why don't we, as we first... Well, first, welcome to Clerically Speaking. I'm Father Anthony. And I'm Father Harrison. And, yeah, we do have a new member of our crew. Go. Yeah. So... Um, Father Harrison, you and I are are decent at podcasting and priesting. Um, mm-hmm. That's been established. And right. Nick is an excellent editor, and mm-hmm. he's good at social media stuff, and mm-hmm. just a genius when it comes to bumpers. How do you right. like that uh, Sister uh, Alethea bumper? That's hilarious. It's like tribute it. to Dio. I loved it. Um, but administrative stuff hasn't been going so well because i mean the podcast has grown quicker than we realized it was going to and <laughs> like way quicker i was just like what the heck is yeah happened? <laughs> yeah i was like oh man we gotta do better so we're a thing we're a thing because we keep things in-house we have we have hired riley uh so uh soon to be mrs producer nick um she's gonna be our administrative person so we've hired her and she's gonna hopefully hopefully the whole clerically speaking Machine and we'll run a lot smoother with her right. helping us out with admin stuff. Absolutely, and it, so question: When she gets married to Nick, can that be? Can they legally make that her name, Riley, Mrs. Or can it like can her last name be Producer Nick? Well, the thing is, uh, I'll be the priest celebrating the mass. Right. So I'm leading them through the vows, uh-huh. and I'll be announcing them at the end of mass. So I really think it's not their decision; it's my decision. 
Right, but isn't there like a legal document they have to sign that would say what their last name is? What's more important, a legal document or what is true in the eyes of the Lord? Mm. I can tell you what's more important for Nick and Riley. If I do yeah. this, they'll stick to it. I know it. They're good holy Catholics. <laughs> have you heard those stories of like, um, spe- uh, speaking of, not speaking of, but of like old priests who would change the name of the kid they were baptizing? I've heard about like that. Like if they yeah. didn't, if like the parents didn't pick a saint name, the priest on the spot would baptize this person. Like if it was like, um, uh, if you were a girl and you were like, oh, uh, my daughter's ca- uh, a Karen or whatever, and the priest would be like, I baptize you, Mary, in the name of the Father and the Son of the Holy Spirit, yep. like giving a more yep. Catholic name. That's what I'm going to do except for the wedding. I'm pretty sure it'll be just as legitimate. Yep, because whatever name you're baptized into, that is your name. You know, it's always, I don't know about you, but like I find, like I actually just did an ornament today, and as I'm driving there, I'm like, okay, Albert, 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 Albert. Because when I get there, I always get nervous because you often don't know the family too well or whatever, and you're just like, am I going to forget their name? Am I going to mess up their name? This is my biggest fear in the priesthood, is messing up names at a wedding or messing up names at, at a funeral. And buddy, it gets super scary when I have like two funerals in a row, like I did the other mm-hmm. day. I'm like, I do not want to get, I'm making names up, like yeah. Betty and Irma. I do not want to get their names mixed up and ruin yeah. this for the family forever. And they'll yeah. hate the church and they'll hate me and I'll have to run away and go to a monastery yeah. and just like take take a flail and hit myself in reparation forever. Would that be a bad thing to go to a monastery? It wouldn't be a bad thing. But just the circumstances. If yeah, I go to a yeah, monastery, yeah, absolutely. for a better circumstance. But no, that's I freak out yeah. at every wedding and every yeah. funeral. This is this is why post-it notes are a great invention. Heck yes, they are. I you, use them all the time. For, even if I know the person super well, doesn't I matter. put it in. I put it in, and I just keep on moving it with the pages. Absolutely. But sometimes, I, this has almost messed me up before, because I would keep the old post-it note from the previous wedding and then be confused about what's the new post-it note, what's the old one, what are their names, even though I've met with yep. them several times. And I, <laughs> it just it makes my brain crazy. Yeah. But anyway, uh, you were speaking about confessions and stuff, and I had a little experience with confessions myself. Mm-hmm. Uh, so recently, my diocese, uh, they've been having this for a long time, this thing, and it's just called the Fall Retreat. And it's this big mm-hmm. retreat run by youth ministers uh, for for high school teens, and it's really well done. So basically, these youth ministers got together and like, hey, we can do this retreat thing. We can tailor it to our kids, and we can do it in a bigger, better way if we work together. And so they began that when I was in high school. So I remember going to this retreat. And uh, it's been at the same place every year. And it's so great because I came back and I saw people who were in my youth group who are now married and helping out and catching up with them and the youth ministers who I've known and loved for so long. So it's always a really neat kind of like reflection whenever I go back. But it's funny because they would have adoration and adoration would go for as long as it took for the kids to go to confession. And sometimes, like some years, there'd be like 400 kids and they all go to confession. And like you said when someone's at a retreat there's a lot of stuff going on in their heart along with their repentance so they start talking and spilling your hearts out to them so a lot of times confessions would take longer and eventually the youth ministers kind of like were coaching the priests and saying hey can you kind of not speed it along but keep them focused and they mm-hmm. have seminarians and youth ministers available just for conversation afterwards mm-hmm. so they tell the kids this and everything and I'm like yeah no problem I'm there as a priest, and I'm kind of going through confessions and stuff. And as I'm going through, uh, in between confessions, someone comes up to me and says, Father, you can, you can slow down a little bit. 
And I was like, I'm, I'm just trying to do what you told me. I'm not trying to go fast or slow. You don't tell me what to do. You don't know my job. You don't know my life. I'm doing a you great job. You don't know me. Exactly. I can't explain to you what I'm doing in the confessional because that's under the seal. But back off, buddy. And then uh, nobody else went to confession to me because I yelled so loud. <laughs> just well, kidding. I didn't do that. But yeah. yeah. You want to know else who probably yelled loud? He yelled. The Albigensian problem has been fixed at a dinner table with the King of France one time, St. Thomas Aquinas, and the Summa Tweetologica. Summa Tweetologica. Summa Tweetologica. Summa Tweetologica. This is my golf ah, bat. Well done. Thank you. Thank you. That's thank a you. great story too. It is, isn't it? You want to tell it? Um, I only know like the outlines of it, but basically, Thomas, his brain's always working, right? And he's yeah. at this dinner with a king, and he's very pensive the entire time, and people are eating and talking, and he's kind of a big deal. He's a professor in Paris or whatever, and then all of a sudden he just, boom, slams the table, and says yeah. what you said. He solved the Albigensian heresy. Yeah, and like the kid, like they all freak out, and the king's like, "Get this guy some paper. Let him write it down. He's a genius." And yes, it's, exactly. It's very well, a yeah, story. some parchment or whatever. They didn't have paper back then. They had um, vellum. Maybe he wrote vellum. It on vellum. Parchments, whatever, like with animal skin parchment mm -hmm. stuff. Yeah. So yeah, yeah. No, it's a great story. It's a, it's it's an awesome story. I, I'm not trying to say obviously that I'm St. Thomas Aquinas because I am not. But you have those moments where you're just like sitting around. I've had those moments during mass where you're just like, you're just kind of praying. You're just like, oh, I figured out the, the answer to that problem now. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> <And> like, sometimes <laughs> like I have post-it notes with the intention on at my little podium at the mass. So like I'll sometimes have to just put a little note down to remember <laughs> later. <laughs> so the, uh, the Summa Theologica with St. Thomas Aquinas is a summary of theology and the Summa Tweetologica is our summary of things we found interesting on Twitter. So first up, I, I'm going to, I'm going to get a little Canadian here, okay. if that's okay. It's okay. not, but go on. Well, I got, I got I to gotta give some content to the, to the Canadian bros and sisters out there. So there has been, um, this is from Kyle uh, Greenham, at Kyle Greenham. He's, he's, he's quoting one of his quotes. Uh, there was a lot of, he was at the prayer breakfast in the province of Alberta yesterday. He goes, uh, the, I understand some of this, some of the dislike. He got a lot of people trolling him about um, religious freedom. Stuff. What is what is this prayer breakfast? What is this thing? This is often things that uh, politicians hold to draw people of different faith backgrounds to talk about the importance of faith or religion in public square. Okay, gotcha. So I know it's a big thing in the States. They usually have a national yeah. prayer breakfast. Mm -hmm. It's huge there. This is something that wasn't around for a bit, but the new premier of Alberta, who is a very devout Catholic, Jason Kenney, uh, has reinstituted it. But he says, but the open hostility to a comment that basically restates the first charter right just shows why religious freedom is a growing concern to many in this country. And I bring it up for this reason, because, um, you know, I'm not one to often talk politics, but 
I, I, I kind of feel like I need to more and more in this regard because in Canada, our, we had our, our federal election last month. And I remember looking at all the parties and none of them were talking about religious freedom. And I want to talk about it, especially in regards to conscience rights. Mm-hmm. Because for those who don't know, in Canada, abortion is legal up to the moment until the head, the crown of the head shows. Wow. Oh, my goodness. So you can, there's actually partial birth abortions where they reverse the baby's body around to ensure the head doesn't come out first. Jeez. It's not, until the head comes out, it's not a person under the law. Wow. And it's only because we have actually no law in Canada on abortion. But it's not just abortion. Abortion is not just the only issue here. Now euthanasia has become legal in Canada. And the, the law that was put in place around it was vague, um, was unsophisticated, and left a lot of room for further laws to develop that would decrease the place of religious freedom and freedom of conscience. Yeah. So I bring this tweet up because he's talking like the, the people were tweeting at him about, oh, you know, when was the last time you heard about, you know, Christians being persecuted in this country and blah, blah, blah. And I'm like, no, no, this is my, my beef with the last election is just that no one stood up for freedom of conscience. It was all about economics, which is an important thing, but it's no one distinguished themselves to say this is an important issue. And mm-hmm. I'm kind of like, because I, I'm becoming more and more uh, vocal about this because like, if we do not fight for this in Canada, religious freedom is not just going to be re- um, um, lessened, it's going to be totally revoked. And, and a, a, a secular totalitarianism will creep in here because Quebec has already gone that direction and Quebec, often what's going on in Quebec is kind of a foretaste of what's going to happen in the rest of Canada. And it's not good, it's not okay. And I'm like, I hate to say, like, I kind of start to fear a little bit about what religious freedom is going to look like because even we have a hate speech law, for example, and technically the Bible would be considered hate, considered hate speech because it has negative things to say about homosexual acts. Oh, right, right, right. So I just kind of bring that up because just to kind of people aware that, you know, things aren't great up here sometimes. And I'm really hoping, and maybe hoping other Canadians who are listening to this will start to make. Uh, conscience protection and protection of religious freedom a fundamental issue that they want to see their politicians uh, fight for I could I'm not because I I have to be a little prudential about this I recognize while abortion and euthanasia are legal in this country we don't have the the voice still we're still at a very grassroots level to make those larger issues politically mm-hmm. but this is the first step at least right now and yeah. if we don't make that step then those other issues will never be we'll never be able to fight for those issues Right. I can't help but think that with regards to a lot of these end of life and beginning of life issues, uh, you see what happens when you have a populace that's so poorly trained in just regular old philosophy and clear thinking and how difficult that is. I'm also thinking of, uh, you know, I've got uh, a buddy who's becoming an anesthesiologist and the moral problems that he has to run into and not just over things like abortion. Uh, What if he is required to do anesthesia for um, a sterilization procedure. Right. You know? Um, And there's religious arguments for that. We would, but also, there's also, I think, good regular philosophical arguments. You are destroying a part of the human body that's functioning well. Mm -hmm. But we can't even have those conversations well because we don't have the vocabulary or even the way of thinking to have these debates because they're so supercharged with emotion and a lack Mm -hmm. of clear thinking. It makes it very difficult because this affects the lives of a lot of good, faithful Catholic people who are in the medical field. 
And it's yeah. just really, really tough for them. So prayers for – if you're a Catholic in the medical field, prayers for you because mm-hmm. um, that's a big deal. And we need to be out there in those fields. Absolutely. Especially, especially for patients who are looking for someone who will defend uh, their choices according to conscience in these regards, who will yep. help them protect life and stuff like this. Yeah. All right. From something deep to something shallow, but also <laughs> important, this is from Father Cassidy Stinson at the Happy Priest, fellow TC alum. He uh, is replying to a tweet that says, please quote this tweet with your most controversial food opinion. I love controversial food opinions. And the good father says this, most people don't eat salad because they like salad. It's just a way to make them see, make themselves feel better about the rest of their meal being unhealthy. Right? This is maybe the best thing Father Cassidy has ever tweeted because it's absolutely it is. true. It is. And I, so I don't eat salad at all because I I just don't eat vegetables because I have the palate of, of a, a little boy who only eats chicken nuggets. That also <laughs> being said, I do do a similar thing where, oh, here's my theory, Father Harrison, my, my, okay. my food theory. For a healthy meal, you need calories and nutrients, right? Mm-hmm. So McDonald's and a multivitamin is a healthy meal. <laughs> Multivitamins vitamins are this magical pill that will make one meal of the day healthy. If it's a cupcake, that's okay. Did you have your multivitamin with it? You're good to go for the day. Excellent breakfast. So for me, it's not the salad thing. You just have a multivitamin. Agree or disagree? Ooh, I like that. I like that a lot. I, I like vegetables, like, but... It's hard. Here's the other thing people don't realize, especially when you're kind of a priest living on your own. Mm-hmm. Cooking for one is actually like really difficult because you, <laughs> the way vegetables are even sold in grocery stores, it's too much for one person. Vegetables will go bad. Yep. Right. Um, but I'm like that. I like that idea. I think that's a good idea. No, because I, I've never been a big fan of salad. I mean, I think so. Here's the interesting thing. I, I don't mind it, but I hate it as an appetizer. Well, the you're not supposed point. to eat it as an appetizer. Exactly. The Italian way is exactly. the right way. Oh, Harrison, thank you. I love you. Continue. <laughs> explain. Explain to the good people how you're supposed to eat a salad. Right. You eat your salad. Uh, you The first thing, you, ha- you have your little um, your, your little pre-course, little snacky meal thing. You have your main course. Then you have your salad. Exactly. Because your salad helps you digest the food properly. It helps like it, it, it helps you gain all the possible nutrients of the meal you've just eaten. And so the Italian and we all know salad's not really exactly a filling thing. Right. So you you eat it afterwards because you might be full, but it's just a few leaves. And it, and that's the whole point of, of this is why Italians do this and I think it's the right way. And if that's the way I'm going to eat, like, that's why like, I hate going to restaurants in North America. They're like, okay, we'll bring you the salad first. No, 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 no. I want the salad after the meal. And people look like I'm a crazy person. I'm like, no, I'm just doing it the right way. Exactly. Have you, you know not what's heard the most, of Italy? You know what's the most important thing you can do for your digestion, though, Father Harrison? It's not the what's salad. That? What? It's the digestivo at the end. Mm. It's the, little, it's the uh, alcohol, the liquor drink you had right. at the end. That's what really, that's how you have a healthy meal. Yeah. So Amen. if you're to have like a cupcake, a multivitamin, and a digestivo, yep. like you're going to power through that day. That might be my new breakfast. Nice. Yeah. Amen. <laughs> um, all right. I'm going to go back to controversy or to heavy again. <laughs> good. good. Uh, we'll bounce it out. It's good. We'll bounce it out. It's good. It's good. It's good. Uh, this is from at Rocco Palmo, who reports a lot on ecclesial affairs. He says, oh. uh, four months since Pope uh, ordered now suspended Bishop 
Michael Bransfield to make personal amends in wake of financial betrayal, his West Virginia successor, Bishop Brennan, indicates that ex-prelate refuses to comply, releases restitution proposal in letter to diocese. And I read the letter. Yeah. And it was very strong. And I... Well, first of all, just a quick background. Yeah. So Bishop Bransfield oh, yeah. was Bishop of uh, Wheeling, West Virginia, yeah. um, was investigated for sexual harassment, misuse of funds, um, found guilty by all that. Uh, so that's kind of the background for this. And uh, yeah. the new he has to pay restitutions for all the money he spent on like himself. Yeah. And it's it's a lot of money. They're expecting a restitution of somewhere in the field of $792,000. Yeah. Which is a lot of money. It won't, like, it won't just, happen. I love this line. We believe this total amount, what you just said, $792,000, constitutes a fair and just amends to the diocese for what was clearly and solely personal expenses. And not just that, they're then also, they've also reported it to the federal government so he can pay taxes on it. Yep. Which is and like another So on top of this, $110,000 on top of that, right? And But here's... This is what I found interesting, though. There's, there's two thoughts that came through my mind in this report. Okay, I understand how chancery cultures can work and stuff like this. Why? Like, did no one ever feel uncomfortable about this to the point where they had to report it to someone else outside of him? It. That's my first question. The second question, or just more of a little interesting thing, and you might know more. I don't know. I. But um, about that. But I. I I noticed they said, and we expect him to pay us for the car we gave him upon his retirement. And I'm like, what the heck is going on? Why do bishops get, what do you get? Do we get cars when we retire, Father Anthony? Oh, wait, wait, No, this is best because one of the punishments was instead of getting the regular uh, bishop stipend, he gets right? a regular priest stipend, which is far, far less. Far less. <laughs> right? <laughs> which I chuckled at. <laughs> so I'm like, why are bishops getting more than priests on these things? Uh-huh. Why? It's I don't get question. it. I don't get it. I'm like, why is he getting a car? We don't get a car upon retirement. Yeah. We get nothing. And it's like, you know, it's the same thing from, I'm sorry, I'm going to go off for a second. Cause it's the same thing from last year with, or two years ago with the Bishop from San Jose, where they're going to buy him like a, a two and a half million dollar house. Why? Cause he needs a resident. I mean, listen, canon law says that a diocese is required to find residence for people, but it doesn't mean he has to have a two and a half million dollar house. Right. Right. You can go live in a rectory. You can go like, that's what I want. I just want to live in a rectory when I retire. I don't yeah, care where. About right? same as absolutely. Yeah, exactly. That's you have, the life. You connect with the community and stuff like that. Exactly. But I'm like, I'm just so sick and tired of this kind of. Like, I understand the careerism that's going on in the states sometimes. Because I'm like, yeah, if I, like maybe some people would like a comfier lifestyle, and that seems to be what the bishops are getting. And it just it frustrates the heck out of me. It also makes me very grateful again, and I've said it before, why that I'm in I'm in Western Canada where I just do not see this with our bishops. Yeah. And and I'm really grateful for that. Yeah, okay. So I've got a bunch of stuff with the stuff you said. One <laughs> yes. like with the whole with the scandal especially recently and all the stuff running more and more about um how money works or doesn't work in the church. It was so funny cuz like, you know, I grew up and you grew up um going through seminary with the scandals in the back <sighs> of our mind, right? That was yep. part of our life as Catholics. And for a lot yep. of people listening to this, they, they haven't known a church that is without this scandal being revealed, right? Yeah. And like this, you would hear about these caricatures of, you know, oh, they were only priests because of the power and the money. And I was like, that's just not my experience of the priesthood. And I guess I've been shocked to find that that is still many people's like mode of, you know, that's 
there's still power and money, at least there was still power and money to be had in being a cleric. And mm-hmm. just that revelation has kind of like shocked me. Um, but I think the one question you had, I think is a very, very important question that we haven't talked about enough because it's difficult to talk about. Yeah. You asked, did no one feel comfortable reporting these things? Right. And the answer is absolutely not. It's hard to explain when you're in a culture, when you're in a society where there's so many unwritten rules and everyone's acting like this sort of thing is normal, Mm -hmm. it's hard to underestimate the pressures in that. Because I think even with the scandals, you know, um, if you look in the grand jury report, there's some stories of the, uh, the survivors bringing this stuff to their families and their families saying, no, no, that couldn't have that couldn't have right. happened and actually it's right. your fault right we can't underestimate like living in a different time with a different culture how much that affects you and we take for granted that thank god now we are more able and more free to report these things and not stand for these things mm-hmm. and just the crippling effect of an abusive culture in the church and the hierarchy um, can do damage it's, it's really really hard to explain Mm-hmm. You know, there's the the flight or fight uh, mechanism, but there's mm-hmm. also uh, within that a freeze mechanism where trauma happens to you and you don't know what to do. You freeze up. You're stuck. And that can happen in very direct ways, but also if you're in this culture where there's, there is this kind of trauma and abuse going on when you're seeing your mm-hmm. bishop act like this and everyone is acting like it's the same thing. I don't think we understand how complicated and difficult that time was for people who may have seen things, but didn't realize what they were seeing, like honestly didn't understand what they were seeing right. when they saw abuse because it was it so boggled the mind at the time. And no one's talking about this. There's no um, understanding of this. And that, I, we don't talk about this aspect of it enough, but I think it's it really informs what was going on in the church for like 30 years. Here's my other question. Um, is it common practice in the States for dioceses to be corporation souls? Uh, I can't answer that question because I'm not sure what it means. Where the diocese owns everything. So I know like in the our diocese. properties and everything. Right, right, right. So I don't know exactly how this works um, because I know like parish funds. I know right now because we're talking about the Diocese of Pittsburgh uh, that there's a potential that we may go into bankruptcy in five years. We don't know, but we're, we're talking about these things. And mm-hmm. if that were to happen, um, parish funds would be safe. Mm-hmm. Uh, that being said, I know the bishop is still has legal rights over the parish, so I don't know how that works. I really don't. Right. Okay, so I've just I, I know that uh, Rome has apparent from what I've understand talking to friends who know these things, uh, Rome has actually strongly discouraged discouraged dioceses from being corporation sole for a few reasons. A because it, then it it protects parishes from diocesan overreach. Mm-hmm. Like, uh, you know, a bishop coming and say, uh, we, we're taking this property, and the parish can say, uh, no, you're not. <laughs> yeah, right? yeah. Uh, the parish actually yeah. has a lot of protection from the universal right. church. The th- and uh, But the diocese, if, it, if it's owned by the parish, then the, diocese, then the diocese can't just do that because the diocese would be its own legal entity. It creates right. more paperwork and more administration on a local level, and this is why a lot of dioceses kind of merge it all together because it's actually a lot easier to administrate stuff, and you have more property assets to 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 have to lean on in terms of investing or to get uh, loans for different projects. But the reason I kind of ask that is because I think if, if the diocese that Bransfield was in wasn't corporation soul, I think it would have been a lot harder for him to get away with all the stuff he did. 
he would have had less money possibly he would have had less things to lean on and he would and it would have freed people up to from fearing retribution from him if he would be like fine i'm going to take your i'm going to take this away from your parish if you do that they couldn't do that right so like you know like there's this i'm not saying that i don't know all the details but it's always been a question that's on the top of my head i mean um our diocese yeah. is this corporation soul most diocese in canada corporation soul and i haven't seen overreach with that lately in any of that regard but it's just it's always something that's at the back of my mind with that yeah, I think, I think that's part of it. But even if people were aware of all those rights or, or mm-hmm. legal responsibilities or whatever, mm-hmm. it's still that culture of you don't question the bishop and I you know. don't bring stuff up and you keep things in house. That's more powerful, I think, than any legal yeah. law. Yeah. 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 All right. Sorry. <laughs> no, 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 that was good. That was a lot of good stuff. Uh, so let's just this one real quick. This is all from right. Melissa Johnson at ML uh, at M. Lynn Johnson, 72. Uh, she says, me, when someone complains there was too much incense, incense today at the Feast of Christ the King. And it's a gif of Tommy Lee Jones in The Fugitive saying, I don't care. And for those who are aware of the movie, um, Han Solo is running from Tommy Lee Jones. Harrison I'm Ford. So, I'm so bad at movie talk. I'm glad I even remembered one part. He My played. name is Harrison. Like, come on. It's right there. <laughs> I know. I'm so bad at this. But anyway, I didn't kill my wife. But I you don't knew care. who Tommy Lee Jones was. You didn't know, you know, the old guy from Dead I literally Black. looked it up as we were finishing your last tweet because I knew <laughs> I wanted to bring this up. I, I am like, when people say there's a movie with an actor in it, it doesn't matter what actor they say, I have no idea who they're talking about. I'm so bad at movie culture. It's ridiculous. That's hilarious. But Sorry. commentary aside, <laughs> it's impossible to have too much incense on the feast day of Christ the King. You should smoke the people out on that solemnity. And you should, I mean, we literally hear in the book of Revelation about all the incense and stuff like this, and that is where the throne is. And so mm-hmm. we want to make the church as much like the heavenly Jerusalem as she can be. And so I say, smoke them out. Okay, so I can hear people complaining already. So I'll say this. I think it's important to advertise in the bulletin which pair, which masses are going to have incense because there are people who are actually allergic to incense. So we're not saying you're a bad Catholic if you are actually allergic to incense. So don't complain about it. We're just saying we like incense and we're using hyperbole. Don't get so angry at us. Calm down. It's just a podcast. Only I'm allowed to get angry about stuff. I'm not. That started off as pastoral, but it came to a kind of a dark place. Anyway. Very, very dark place. Anyways. Um, I was going to say, speaking of dark places, but I have no transition there. Um, <laughs> <laughs> uh, no, no, no. But uh, let's go. We haven't had it for a while now. It's been a couple weeks. Let's bring back the good old standard of presbyteral exhortations. And now it is time for presbyteral exhortations. Oh, yes. yes. Quite good. Quite good. Indubitably. Mm-hmm. Oh, I bet they can't wait to learn. They're going to learn so much. It's my favorite part. Oh, it's oh, the best part. Yes. yes quite. Yes. Quite. quite. Ah, it's good to have a discussion again, just you and me. Just get back to the bread and butter. No what, laity. What, what, what brought us no to the religious, big dance? Exactly. Yeah, no, no none religious. No, none, none of these extra gimmicks. The people come for us. <laughs> Absolutely. So, what are we talking about today? <laughs> All right. Um, so, recently in my parish, we did a survey. Part, the main reason of it was to ga- gather. Um, people's feedback because I'm reducing Christmas Eve mass times this year because we lacked enough 
ministers to do different things at mass uh, for Christmas Eve. And so I've redu- I'm reducing it from three Christmas Eve masses to two. And plus, like, one of the masses only had 42 people at it last year. So Oh, wow, yeah. Yeah, it's like, no, guys, we don't need this. When the second mass is only half full and the third one is none. So anyways, so I needed to get feedback from people so I could talk to pastoral council, get advice and stuff like that and made my decision. Um, but then I thought, well, let's just use this as an opportunity to ask people some different questions. And one of the questions I asked was, how often do you pray? Uh-huh. I was just kind of curious, right? And I was actually honestly pleasantly surprised. So we had 131 people give back the surveys because I got them to do it at mass. So that's a very healthy sampling, I think. Yeah. I hope. Uh, it might. I mean, maybe the people who didn't fill out might not really care about these questions. So maybe it might have been less or it might have just been people answering for both the people in their household. But regardless, 131 out of maybe 275 people on a weekend is a, is a fairly healthy sample. Yeah. And out of the 131 respondents, 100 people said they pray daily. Okay, not bad. That, that's really good. Yeah. <laughs> that's like, that's 80%. Sure. That's huge. Like, I, I it's actually, I'm like, wow, that is actually not norm. That's not norm. Uh, like, okay. I get what you're saying, but... I well, go back and forth, right? Okay. Well, okay. Yeah, because what do they mean by prayer? Right. What do they mean by prayer? And if you're not praying as a Christian, then you're not, you can't be living the Christian life. That also being said, like you and I, because we're on the ground in parishes, we are aware of the realities of people's lives. And it, for many reasons, lack of catechesis, um, people, it's hard to pray if you don't teach people how to pray. So mm-hmm. in a lot of ways, we're kind of behind the eight ball on this. Right. So... I wouldn't be shocked if you did that uh, census and that questionnaire and you got back a lot of responses saying people don't pray. Uh, so just to balance that out. But yeah, anyway. Anyways, but no, I was like, and, and it's helped me shift my attitudes a little bit about my parish sometimes and, and to realize, no, there's, there's actually, and there is a lot of good here, but it, it got me thinking around the question of evangelization. So that's something we, we talk about evangelization a lot. Sure. We talk about different. We talk about the sacramental worldview is a big thing we like to talk about on this podcast, and it helped me. Like it was kind of one of those light bulb moments that started to piece things together. I've mentioned it too before about how, like, I think actually more people in the parish have a quote unquote relationship with Jesus than is maybe sometimes, you know, based on certain definitions. People would say, no, no, there's only a small group of people in your parish who have a relationship with Jesus. So it's helped me see, no, no, I think a lot of people are actually sincerely trying to seek God. Yeah. Right? So the, but then I've been pondering this question of evangelization. And it's true in the last 50 years, 60 years, the, it's been like the number one topic. It's the number one word out of the mouths of every pope mm-hmm. since, since the Second Vatican Council. To be missionaries, to evangelize, to propose the gospel, etc. And I'm like, why aren't people doing it? Because you have to talk to people to do that. Well, there's that. But, you know, here's a bunch of people who say they experience God. Mm -hmm. They they seek him out every day. And who struggle to go out and actually actually talk to people about Jesus. And to actually propose the gospel to him. My challenge to my parish, I said, they're going to hear about this a lot, is that it's my hope in the next year that every one of you will have been able to invite one person back to the faith. Because if we do that, we need to add another mass time on Sunday, which would be great, right? Go from 275 to 550 on a weekend would be amazing. Mm -hmm. Um, 
so and it, the, I think we got very excited about the missionary call, which is a good thing, but we missed a step, which what is, is cate- catechesis. Okay. Because on that survey, there was a major drop between how much I pray and how much I know about my faith. Mm-hmm. A lot of people said that they're satisfied with the catechism they got as a kid, which is not going to be very much. Um, or they, you know, or they feel that they don't know enough and they want to know more. I was amazed that there was a strong response in prayer and a a very large uh, gap between that and catechesis. Mm-hmm. And so we wonder why is this so hard to get people to evangelize? It's because I think as a church we got we were trying to hear the call of the popes to be missionary and forgot to do the step of catechesis. And this is why I think it's so important, because if we miss this step, then we're actually going to repeat the sins of our past, which is, this is who Jesus is, and you don't need to worry about knowing these other things, and it just repeats the cycle from from the war generation to boomers, etc. It's just repeating the cycle. We're we're going to repeat the sins of our past, and that's not, that didn't work. Like, this didn't work. These people were brought up in their faith at home but they weren't taught anything right and so i yeah this is kind of why i want to maybe just have a chat with you about with this because i think uh, i'm starting to realize like people don't know and i think we need to actually not say not worry about evangelization but maybe the first thing we need to really really focus on is catechesis what do you think i think it goes into part of the problem that there's so much emphasis even if you don't want to call it evangelization, uh, people on some level, like they want more people to go to mass. We, how can we be more welcoming? How can we get mm-hmm. more people in? Right. But then you forget the question is like, okay, what are we welcoming, welcoming them in to? Right. And this is a big problem with a lot of um, big evangelization or like retreats. Uh, mm-hmm. People are set on fire with the Lord. And I'm not cynical. I think those are real deep experiences. Mm-hmm. But then they have nowhere to turn after that. Or the same thing with that happens with RCIA. They get all this catechesis, hopefully through RCIA. They're ready to become uh, a full-fledged member of the faith. But then there's no home to get on to 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 come home to. Mm-hmm. Because a lot of people who have been going to Mass are just happy with Mass. Like a lot of Catholics are just happy with Sunday Mass. That's all they want. Mm-hmm. Sunday Mass and their Mass times. And that's not totally negative because a lot of people, if you, as long as there's the sacraments available to you, you can do your reading and your prayer and you can have your prayer groups and stuff. Maybe you don't need anything else from the parish. Um, but also I struggle with, because like, a lot of people are saying, hey, we really need more adult education in the faith. And I agree. Mm-hmm. But then when we try to have an event, it's hard to get people to go to the event. And so when you start an event, you make it this kind of big, more social thing to draw more people in. And it's just kind of hard to be consistent because we, we're looking for one fix, but what we have to fix, I think, is the entirety of the parish. Mm-hmm. And that's a difficult thing to program out and to do, if that okay. makes sense. Yeah. Hmm. I, I, I agree. I think, I mean, and in some ways, actually, and I think this is something that um, old, this is actually, a, I think this is one of the virtues of your older parishioners mm-hmm. is they recall 
and have fond memories of the days when the church was the center of life. Right. Center of the community. Right. It was the center of the community. Right. And so because it's it's only in community that we grow in virtue and in faith. And so they, they understand that. And like when people pass away, they're often out. Like it's really beautiful to see like that. There's still semblances of that those days when the parish came together. And it's, it, it is, I think part of the issue is the busyness of younger family. Like the older people, they're retired. They have time. They want to come to potlucks or whatever. Yep. But younger families have a hard time doing this because they're so busy. They're working. They got kids. It's, you know it's it's all these different they have all these different activities and and so it's hard to incorporate them into the community life as a parish because i think um part of it is you need to actually yeah build strong community make the parish a center point again and there's there's all i mean part of the problems is the car (laughs) sure (laughs) right the car has made it very easy to go everywhere except the parish yeah, I think. I mean, yeah, I've heard that argument. Okay, partially, sure, whatever. Yeah, maybe because I'm attached to my car, maybe because I'm in it all the time. I don't know, but I think it's more the state taking over the life of the person. Yes, absolutely. I think because I think they're all yeah. kind of together. Yeah, and that, right? that's the problem talking about this. But yeah. I'll just stick to one thing or yeah. just this, this yeah. thought. I don't yeah. know how far we'll go. Uh, but you've got your state religion, which is politics, and really. It's only the spiritual instinct that makes the politics in America make any sense. The I think someone tweeted this out. Maybe it was Matt Baker saying something along the lines of, if your care about a political figure is more than I like this person and I like this person's politics, then like you're crazy, right? But there tends to be a religious fervor around politicians and politics. And I've said this a thousand times. Like, I can say heaven and hell and Satan and stuff, and nobody, their ears won't perk up necessarily at mass. But if I say Republican or Democrat or president, all of a sudden people are on the edge of their seats because this is their first and deepest care. This is the thing that pulls at their heartstrings more so than Jesus Christ because that was their first religious fervor. That's how they grew up in their house. And then with public schools, and this is the biggest thing that every parish, every youth minister fights against is that the school takes over a student's life and the parents play into this because they want their kids to be happy and the only way they see their kids being happy is if they're successful and the only way to be successful is to get a 4.0 be in all these honors classes um, be in band or sports or both or whatever and excel at all these things so they complain that there's no time when we have church meetings but they're going to a thousand other meetings for their school and their other hobbies there is time but it's been given over to what mm-hmm. people think will actually make them happy, mm-hmm. which is success. Right. And all that is part of the culture of the states here. But I think it's even in general, this is yeah, what happens West, when it's very Western. Right. It's very when like the nation state takes over the person. Yeah. Yeah. No. And I totally just, I don't disagree with any of that. And so this is, this is why I think the catechetical element is actually really important. I think we as priests, especially have a, like I've actually decided while I know it's not the perfect form of a homily, I'm doing, I'm going to go heavy catechetics with homilies for a uh-huh. while. And because you're right, how do we get people to come to these adult faith formation classes? Well, they're not initially, mm-hmm. but it, you have them at the homily time and they can't escape you. <laughs> because I think part of it is they actually want this, they just don't know it. <laughs> right. And I've been right? like, you know, uh, one thing that I've heard a lot whenever I, because um, a lot of my homilies tend to be conversion, yeah, gospel, 
yeah. kind of things and then addressing the needs of the community. Um, but I get positive feedback from that, sure. But sometimes when I think, oh, is that too catechetical or is that too like, right? Uh, was that too above their heads or whatever? People right. really gravitate that stuff because they yeah. actually are genuinely curious and want to know more about the faith. Right. They, well, there is it, yeah. a hunger for it. Well, it's funny because like in my parish, like it's, again, it's, it's a very blue collar place where I, where I live. Yeah. But still, like a lot of people still like Bishop Barron stuff. Oh yeah. Right? Absolutely. And I'm like, this guy's not blue collar. No. Right? And so I, I've been hesitant sometimes to teach because I'm thinking, oh, they just don't care. But I'm like, no, no, no. I need, it's my duty to teach because, and it's not just this. It's it's, um. Because what even if people are not intellectual. Often, their resistance to the faith is some vague intellectual reason. Yeah. So, like, with teenagers, well, uh, 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 evolution and science, man, like, we know That's, faith can't n- go together None of my that. teenagers sound like that. They're all smart and articulate and yeah, very but faithful. Pot, Maybe. Pot's, yeah, but pot's legal in BC, so I don't oh, Okay. <laughs> <laughs> but, no, you're absolutely right. right. I was thinking about this. Um, you know, we had a, uh, a meeting for all the parents of kids going through their first um, reconciliation and uh, first communion. And there's a lot of parents there who are, who are absolutely doing a great job and doing their best at trying to bring up their kids in the, in the faith. But I also saw a lot of faces there that when um, the pastor and I were talking about the sacraments, their eyes were just glazed over. And I know why that's going on, because they've already written off the faith because of this, that, or the other um, catechetical intellectual reason. It's almost always because uh, maybe it's something about sexual ethics of the church or something about transubstantiation or something about miracles or whatever it is, these hot button issues. Like it's because they've encountered this question, have not gotten an answer, think there is no answer, and that invalidates the rest of the faith, which if that's your mindset, that makes perfect sense. If you can't answer these deepest questions about the human person, what does your faith have to do with me? So I get that. But then it's difficult. Like, when am I, like, uh, what is the purpose of the Mass? It's to worship God, right? And what's the purpose of the homily? To, you know, preach on the readings and all this stuff. But at the same time, when am I going to make room to talk about sexual ethics in a real, compassionate, articulate, informed way? And how do I do that when you're going to have, you know, fifth graders in the room as well as uh, adults. How are we going to do that when you don't know um, who identifies as what in your parish and how they feel about that? It's it's so, so, it's hard to figure out what to do. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it is. And so a few thoughts have been kind of entering my mind. So like the first thing, this is why I often like, this is why I'm often talking about undercurrents in thought because even if people aren't conscious of it conscious of it this is often what's at play in their mind even if they can't give a word to it right so like for example like when we did our modernism podcast part of that was whether you like it or not that's the worldview people are working out of out of even if they can't give a word to it they would not probably understand what you're saying but the gospel always has to be preached according to the if you will it ha- at least they're starting, it needs to be spoken according to the motive of the receiver. And yeah. so what is their motive? This is our job as the church to always study this, understand it, and then help build people up with it. So that when we're, when we're like, I think in a way, 
and this is where I think apologetics is actually really important. But again, and I've said it before, I'm not a big fan of like your usual Catholic Protestant apologetics because I don't think that's the big issue anymore. No, it's really not. It's really not. Okay. I mean, I know in the States, it's probably a little bit of a bigger issue. It's, yeah. it's, really, it's really not a thing here. And, and I mean, and that's, I'm not saying it's not important, but that's the, we need, like, we need more apologists who can help us deal with secular peoples and their arguments. I agree. And their worldview. And I think that's more, it's not about their arguments, it's about what's the worldview people are coming out of. And you as a Christian have a duty to understand that and to address it. Now, often where people are going to evangelize is often going to be in their own families and in their own homes. Like a lot, a lot of people, it's not their job to go out on the street corners and preach the gospel. Right. But at the very least at your homes, this is, and it's, so it's about helping your kids understand what the world around you is like. And this is why the gospel actually makes sense in this and to educate them in this. And, and it's our job as, as pastors and priests to actually educate our people in these regards. And I'm just starting to realize this more and more, like people have faith, but the reason they don't go out and evangelize is because they act because they've encountered their family members saying, I don't need to pray to God. I can go walk in the forest. Right. Or I don't agree with the church's view on, 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 on sexual ethics. Right. And the people, God bless them, often don't know how to answer that. Right. And so, them. right. Because they haven't been told that. And yeah. so they haven't been for, you see, catechesis, this is the whole purpose of catechesis. The whole purpose of catechesis is to build up and to nurture and to, to kind of till the soil where faith has been planted. To, because you always want to know more deeply that which you love. Mm-hmm. And so if faith isn't catechized, it gets, it, at the very least, it doesn't grow past the first stage. Yeah. Okay. And if it doesn't grow past the first stage, then it can't go out to proclaim it because it's still an infant faith. And I'm just starting to realize, I think a lot of people in the church still, not by their own fault, I think it's just our, I think actually it's a lot of our fault as priests in missing this step. Their faith hasn't been nurtured to grow in this area, in, in the area of catechesis. Yeah. So, so because get, for me, it's like a threefold step. You receive faith, it is nurtured, and then you are you're kind of impelled to go and to proclaim. Yeah, I think in some cases, I think um, even before you receive faith, some good catechetical answers, some good um, reason can mm-hmm. remove some of the roadblocks to faith. Exactly. So sometimes that happens too. But yeah, I, I just think about like my own journey into the faith. I had um, an experience of Jesus Christ. And so from that point on, I was willing to give the church the benefit of the doubt until I found the answers that satisfied my heart. Mm-hmm. But it was in finding the answers to these questions about the moral life, uh, sexual ethics, what the church teaches. It was in finding those answers more and more that that built up my faith. I began to trust and know and love the church more and God more because exactly. the answers were out there and they they felt right. So I think another part of it is drawing that connection between what's going on in your mind and your heart. Because we see what happens when someone just has an intellectual life of the faith yeah. and no interior life. Yeah. And that does great damage to, uh, to catechesis and to evangelization when someone only knows things, but they've, they've missed the deeper message of the gospel as well. So to draw those connections and to keep them in balance and in harmony with each other mm-hmm. is a part of what we have to do as well. This is why, so I'm of the opinion that if you want to evangelize, Oh, oh, yeah. Um, before I kind of, well, kind of tied in with this before. Um, I was reading, because I'm prepping an intro to theology class for our cathedral. Mm-hmm. And um, I was reading 
the introduction in Frank Sheed's uh, Theology for Beginners. Okay. Frank Sheed's a famous British author from the early 20th century who founded the Catholic True Society. And in there, he's talking about how today more than ever, it's essential for the laity to know their doctrine because doctrine feeds us. You see, like part of this is we have an anti-intellectual outlook. We're pragmatists, especially in North America, right? What is the number one complaint we hear about homilies? How do I apply this to my life? Yep. That is not the point of the homily, folks. Sorry. It's not pragmatism. I mean, I'm not saying there's not practical outlook with it, but it's not. It's about truth is greater than praxis. And truth waters the soil that allows the heart to grow in faith so that it can do the right things and to do it according to the mind of Christ. But you need truth first, not praxis. Really. Well, I, I, so that, that question, though, of how do I apply this to my life, I think that comes up when you haven't taught something well. Um, it, it doesn't necessarily, because I think it's a way of, it's a way of expressing, not, it doesn't necessarily, when someone says, how does this apply to my life? They're not necessarily looking for practical reasons. Some people are, but some people just heard a bunch of gob- gobbledygook and words and clouds and like, what does this mean? I think sometimes that's that's what actually well, I, criticism means. I can means. hear that because I, I think too uh, there is a temptation as priests because I, I think we're quite well educated these days in the, in seminaries like like the, the the level we get nowadays is actually really good. Sure. And so we have a tendency we can have a tendency to really get academic, which is not the way a lot of people think about things. And so I think that maybe in regards to it, I guess it's just there's a but I think part of it is people is like I don't care about the truth of this. I just I want like a five step plan on yeah. how to live this in my day to day life, and I, and which I I'm not I guess, and I'm not saying I guess what I'm saying I'm not saying the second thing isn't important, but it mean it's meaningless if it's not rooted in truth. Yeah, I just I just don't think people are actually looking for. I mean, sure there's some, but I think that's a greater indication of this something that has been not taught well. I haven't felt right. the truth that you've taught me. You haven't connected right. it. It's 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 you haven't taught this well because if you speak a truth, like a real truth well, people are going to feel that and that's going to change them. Well, Even if I they think can't too, sometimes in that moment. it's going to depend on your audience too, right? Sometimes audiences are just naturally closed. Sure, that happens right? too. And that that can be I mean there's all a bunch of reasons, right? There's a lot yeah. of Anyways, um, but anyways, so getting back to Sheed's book, he's talking about interiorizing the doctrine of the faith. He says that laity um, are, he says, and the laity need to know this more because there's a starving world out there that is searching for meaning and purpose. We know the gospel is the place where that is, is, is kind of um, fulfilled in. And he says, and who has the closest contact with this starving people? It's not the priests, it's the lay people. And so he was a big believer in this. And he's saying, you need to interiorize the doctrine. Like, you need to interiorize theology, not just catechism, basics, but like going deeper. And so this is, this is what I was going to get earlier. To evangelize, I think someone need, you need to do at least two years of heavy duty catechesis and theology. Not, not in terms of like academics, but just like getting to know arguments like why God exists, why faith and reason are important things, uh, how science and faith relate to each other. It is our duty as Catholics to know these things. So then when we hear people talking about these things, we are then able to give an answer now, which opens up an exchange of hearts and an exchange of love so that we can go to evangelize. So you receive faith and then you're, I mean, this is what happened in the early church. You, you got, you, first you got three years often uh, of heavy duty catechesis 
and, and education in the faith. And then you did mystagogy after that to reflect on what you've received so you can know it and interiorize it more deeply. And I guess in the end too, it's not, it's not like a separate intellectualism, but it's a, it's, it's integrating the mind into the lived reality of faith and into the life of the church, which is kind of like this whole sacramental worldview idea again, right? Where um, we like the mystagogy is reflecting on the reality you've received and seeing it at work in you. And so then truth and praxis aren't seen as these things that are imposed from each other. Like, there's all sorts of things going on with all this. So I think it, it's, we need to do a better job at doing catechesis or else we're going to just repeat the sins of the past. Right. And I think you've alluded to this. Um, catechesis doesn't have to be this dry thing. Like good right. theology is theology you can pray with. Exactly. You know, good catechesis is something you can bring to prayer and speak with Christ about who is the teacher. And that can do wonders for the spiritual life and increasing your love for Christ too. So it doesn't have to be like a whole dry thing, but yeah, um, I, I think we need to do a better job with our homes before we go out and invite people into them. Exactly. And I think, I, I think this is why we have this frustration is because we're missing this step. Yeah. So I, I don't know. So I'm hoping that those who are listening will, my encouragement is, is start to at least read the compendium of the catechism. It's shorter. It's a good, it's got a lot of good stuff in there. Deepen your knowledge of the faith. Mm-hmm. Yeah. The catechism of the Catholic church is shockingly readable and good. Yeah. Like for yeah. a document that's put together by a committee and different people, it's actually really good. And even, even the section on prayer is very excellent. Good. Yeah. So, so my intro to theology class that I'm putting together at the end of every lecture for 15 minutes, I'm giving them different paragraphs from the catechism. And it's their job to talk about what they've what they've read together, to see what it says theologically. So it helps them to read it more deeply, I and like also it. get and it also familiarizes them with the catechism. Absolutely. So yeah, great. So thank you for uh, listening. You can find us on iTunes, Google Play, Stitcher, all those fun things. You can also support us at Patreon.com and anything in excess than what we need uh, will be donated to the Missionaries of Charity. You can uh, find, so it's Patreon.com slash Clerically Speaking. We do have something in the works because we recognize we've been kind of there's been there's a lot of transition the last few months with everyone and so we are we are getting going to get some content for patreon listeners uh just give us a little bit more time um but that, that'll be coming soon and uh yeah you can find me on twitter at fr harrison and i'm at father sharapa you can find the podcast also on facebook uh, clerically speaking on twitter at clerical pod you can email us clerically speaking at gmail.com thank you for listening and we'll see you next week god bless peace